Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective, featuring the friars from St. Patrick Church in Columbus. And now, Dominican Dimensions. Welcome to the Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. Today I'm joined in the studio by Father Leo Camerati, who is assigned at our community at Holy Innocence in Pleasantville, New York. Let's begin with a prayer. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Today we're going to speak about the Sacred Heart of Jesus, uh, about what this devotion is, and also about the, uh, the meaning of it, the theological background of this devotion. I understand, Father Leo, that you have uh, given conferences on the Sacred Heart. Um, yes, it's good to join you, Father Stephen, and yes, I'll, I'll talk to anyone willing to listen to me. <laughs> no, nothing too formal, granted, but yes, I've led a few retreats on, on the mm-hmm. Sacred Heart, and even being a young man in, in Manhattan while I was getting ready to join the order, there were various devotions to the Sacred Heart, masses and conferences that I'd attend. And so it's been a deeply meaningful devotion to me. Yeah. yeah. So so, uh, so you grew up in, in Manhattan? I grew up in Queens, actually. In sorry. Queens. Okay, sorry. But, uh, but I, was, I was working in Manhattan right before I entered the order. So Okay. Yeah. Got to have a bit of fun, go out and serve masses in various places and... Yeah, pay, pay rent, pretend to balance a checkbook, and you get ready to join the order. <laughs> wow. Wow. So um, so when we think of the Sacred Heart, uh, sometimes we might think of the images, you know, of, of, of Christ with his heart as exposed. Sometimes it has thorns around it. Yeah. Um, what is that? What is that? What's the meaning of that? And what does that point to in like in a deeper level in our faith? I, I think it's... Uh, a deep realization, right? That, that God who himself can't be hurt, right? God, the eternal God is, is impassable. He's eternal. Uh, you can't hurt the eternal God, nor can I, mm-hmm. but yet God took flesh and walked among us as Jesus Christ. And so the, the crown of thorns around his heart points to the fact that, that for love to love for the rest of us meant the prospect of suffering, right? Love means vulnerability, if you didn't care about anyone else in your life, you might not hurt as much. And again, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe, maybe you've had to build up calluses this way or that mm-hmm. with, with some of the people in your life. But God took flesh that he might be able to suffer for us, mm-hmm. right? That's what the cross is. And, so he, and he suffers not just to pay a debt in some dry and abstract and exacting sense, but out of love and solidarity with us, identifying with us in the suffering that we undergo. Mm. And so not only does he suffer on our behalf that our sufferings might have meaning, but also it means that when we work against him in sin, we are wounding him. Mm. The Council of Trent in its catechism talks about how we can't just blame the Jews or the Romans for crucifying Christ. Every Christian who commits mortal sin is one who, who makes Christ suffer anew. And St. Mm-hmm. Paul talks about that in one of his letters. Forgive me for forgetting where, sure, where you crucify sure. Christ again in your hearts. Right. Uh, 
and again, this isn't meant to be some kind of a Catholic guilt trip. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I, I really don't know shame or guilt all that much. I, I don't respond well to it. Maybe I should, but I don't. <laughs> but I think it's about just reckoning, right? As we do with, with the other people in our lives when we make them suffer. Well, how does sin harm our relationship with God? And in the Sacred Heart, we see how immense his love is for us, even as we wound him. And yet also how overflowing is his mercy in the face of it. And any mm-hmm. relationship worthy of the name has us recount those things, right? Mm-hmm. Both the mercy that others show us and sometimes that we show them as they step on our toes, but also being sensitive to when we might be wounding people unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. And, and in this case, right, thwarting the work of God in our lives. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a great mystery you know, because God in one sense uh, is impassable. I mean, he is in, in his divinity you know, we, we can't change God, um, mm-hmm. and yet in his human nature, he, he is able to feel, he is able to, to, to love, he is able, I mean, not that God can't love in his divine nature as well, but, but in his human nature, he loves as, as, as we love. Um, but I guess in, in terms of wounding Christ, we wouldn't be wounding him in the sense that we could sort of actually inhibit him or thwart him or I mean I remember reading uh, uh, one of my favorite books is C.S. Lewis's book The Great Divorce he points mm. out that there's some souls that think they can in a sense blackmail God you sure. know in the sense of saying well uh, I know this is going to hurt you so I'm going to do everything I can to do this or if you don't do this for me then I'm going to do this to you and um, maybe talk a little bit about that like how, like what is the level to which God can actually be hurt. That, that's interesting, right? Because St. Paul will say, right, Christ having died, dies no more. Death no mm-hmm. longer has power over right. him. And so when we talk about the vulnerability of the love of the Sacred Heart, we don't mean that Christ is on the other end of the line thinking, well, will he repent or am I going to have a miserable day? <laughs> like, God, God doesn't hang on bated breath over, over how we'll react to things. Mm. He, all times belong to him and, and, and he knows he's closer to us than we are to ourselves. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and so when we talk about the vulnerability of his love, we're not saying, right, that, that he has the capability of, of being slighted in the way um, that we might be in, in this moment at this time. I, I've taught high school in a Catholic church this past year, and one thing I've been interested in, again, as, as a school kid, you wonder this, like, have, you, have I insulted my teacher when I said this or that? What's amazing is, yeah, the kids can insult you, but you're not on their level anymore. God willing, they don't keep you up at night thinking, oh, uh, Bobby, Bobby Sue or, or Mary Jane or whatever. Oh, how, how could she talk like, me, like that to me? Like, <laughs> in a sense, like, why would I care what a 15-year-old thought of me uh, in, in teaching this or that? And, and if that's the way that we have to be able to be as adults, right, in, in a situation with proper boundaries and, 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 and sense of role, well, all the more so for God, right, who, who is far beyond us in, in, in his divinity. And yet, and yet, he identifies with us so much that at one point on Calvary and on the way leading to it, he bore the wounds. Mm-hmm. And even though he's impassable now and he doesn't hang on our word for his validation, right. yet he bears the scars, Right, And so the scars remain because at the end of the day, even though Christ suffers no more, he still identifies with the suffering. 
and not just in some vague sense, right, as an armchair general who might feel for his soldiers dying in the trench, but as one who bears the wounds of battle himself. Mm, right, right. Yeah, so that, that suffering that, that Christ endured for us uh, was real. He still bears the wounds, um, and he still, he still loves us uh, with a human love, even from heaven, you know, his, his, he's, been, he's ascended into to the right hand of the Father, but he still loves us with a human love. Uh, I, I, to me, that's a great mystery. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, when we think of how God the Son loves us in his human nature from heaven, what do you think about that? One, one line I've tried, and, and again, I'm, I'm still working on this myself, but I've tried to preach on it, and no one's been offended, or at least if they have, I haven't heard it. Uh, but when we think of Christ and his humanity, right? Christ isn't a human person. He's a divine person with a human nature. Right. And that might seem like a bunch of words that justify us being able to hire theology professors, but it, it really does mean <laughs> something. Fulton right. Sheen talks about how because Christ isn't a human person, but a divine person with a human nature, it's almost like he's a playground without a fence. That, that mm. Christ's humanity not being a proper human person is in a sense open to all of humanity. Hmm. And so I think that that image is a bit more approachable to us, right? That Christ, God made man, the invisible God having been made visible, belongs then to all of us, to all hmm. mankind. And so when we think of Christ in his sacred heart, we're thinking of, of a divine person who's taken a human nature. Now, when we think of someone's heart, right? When we think of oh, he has a good heart, or he has a heroic heart, or maybe you're trying to put up with someone and you say, bless your heart, right? I, I, know, I know there are Waffle Houses around here, so I think I can speak in a Southern idiom, right? But when we, when we talk about someone's heart, we're speaking proverbially, right? We're speaking idiomatically. We're, we're, when we say someone has a courageous heart, we're just simply saying the person's courageous. But when we talk about Christ's sacred heart, we're talking about something a bit deeper because at the end of the day, my... My heart is part of me. You can't talk to my heart. You know, paging Father Leo's heart. Uh, I mean, I, I'd be tempted to ignore that email or that phone call. I mean, unless there were really reason for me to follow up on it, I'd be thinking, what on earth is this person saying? But if you look at the litany of the Sacred Heart, or you look at the devotions of the Sacred Heart, we talk to the heart of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And rather than just nod along and say, well, the church has said so, we, okay, it must be fine. Well, why don't we say Why? Why don't, we, why don't we look at why? Because it's, it's a bit odd, isn't it? It's a mm -hmm. bit odd. But when we re remember that Christ is a divine person who's taken on a human nature such that he's like us in all things but sin, it means that every pore of his being, every facet of who he is, is that divine person made visible in a human nature, mm. perfectly united without confusion, without division, but with distinction. And so... That, that heart, rather than simply being part of a human body, is united to the second person of the Blessed Trinity, united to the Son of God. And so you can talk to the Lord's heart in a way that you can't talk to my heart or Father Stephen's heart or even the Blessed Mother's heart, though it is an immaculate heart that stands in for her whole being and how she loves. But she's not a divine person with a human nature. She's a perfectly human person, which, mm -hmm. you know, wonderful intercessor. But the Sacred Heart is something distinct still, and, and, a, and a unique instance for us of, of how God's love is expressed on human terms. You're listening to The Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. 
My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. Today I'm joined in the studio by Father Leo Camerati, and we've been discussing the Sacred Heart of Jesus, how it is that Christ in heaven, uh, who is a divine person, has a human nature, and that human nature is still part of, of his divine person, even in heaven, and how he can love us, and, and, and what the implications of that are uh, in, this, in this great mystery of, of the way that, that Christ loves. And we've been speaking about how especially the way that Christ's uh, divinity is joined to his humanity makes, in a way, his connection to us unique, even different from that of, of the Blessed Mother. Um, so when, 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 Christ, when Christ loves us uh, as, as God, when he loves us uh, in, in his humanity, um, he, he, in a sense, is, 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 is present to us in a similar way that, that he was with, with, with his apostles and his, and his friends and his mother when he walked on earth, correct? Amen, amen, with an open heart that, that reveals his person to them, right? He mm-hmm. entrusts himself to them mm-hmm. and, and does so in this radically open and intimate way that involves divine friendship on, on human terms. Mm-hmm. And so not only does this then extend to just saying novenas to the Sacred Heart or, or saying the litany, which are, which are very powerful prayers, I'm not, I'm not depreciating them at all, but it also opened us up to Eucharistic devotion. Hmm. When St. Margaret Mary Alacook received this devotion from the Lord, it was intimately united to the prospect of receiving Holy Communion more often, receiving hmm. it more worthily, united with the sacrament of penance on a regular basis. Hmm. And, and so... It's interesting how the Eucharist in which the Lord, body, blood, soul, and divinity is radically open to us is intimately related to understanding his sacred heart. Hmm. Right. Yeah, so, so in, the, in our love for, for Christ in the Eucharist, who gives us his body and his blood, his, his soul and divinity, um, he's also uh, joining us to, to, to his heart. Yeah. Um, and uh, and maybe we could you could say a little bit more about the background of, of the Sacred Heart devotion. I know uh, I, I've actually been to Pere Limonial myself. It's a beautiful place, great place to visit. But that's where uh, Saint Margaret Mary Alacoque um, lived, and and where she received revelations about the heart of Christ. And, and maybe talk a little bit about the the context in the church or in in the, in the society where this devotion came in. Happily, happily. Now, I haven't had the chance to visit, so mm-hmm. I, I can only dream of what you've been able yeah. to see uh, on that front. But I think the, the history of it is accessible to all of us in that St. Margaret Mary Alacoque was a, a French nun in, in the heart of the 17th century, a time in France and, and in several other parts of Western Europe that was marked by a misunderstanding of the faith called Jansenism. Jansenism was an emphasis on our weakness in the face of God's strength. Now look, God is strong. I am comparatively weak. Amen. Mm-hmm. Father Stephen, not to insult you, but you're comparatively <laughs> weak too. Yes, absolutely. Okay, not trying to go after you here, but right, like, right. Well, let's, call, let's call it out where we are here, yeah. right? Uh, as fallen human beings, this is where we are. And yet, we don't want to overemphasize that weakness. God's mm. grace is sufficient for us, and he transforms us from the inside out. And 
in faith, in hope, and in love, the virtues that are poured into our hearts through his spirit that we receive in the grace of the sacraments, in sanctifying grace, we are made like Christ, right? We're not, we're not just posers. We really begin to resemble him on some level. Maybe we're a long way off, but we begin <laughs> to resemble him. And the Jansenists tended to dis- de-emphasize that. They tended mm. to emphasize, well, you're weak. Well, you have errant thoughts. Well, you're incapable of rising above your fallen state. And the problem with this, as, as the church came to enunciate, is, well, who are we to deny God who chooses to sanctify us? Who are we to deny the efficacy of the sacraments? So where does the rubber hit the road with these Jansenist folks who thankfully aren't around too much these days, though there's some remnant of what they understand? You might see the echo of Jansenism in people who de-emphasize the sacraments, the idea of, well, we're not ready for God and the sacraments because we're weak. And so we have to wait to get our own ducks in a row before we come to the sacraments. Mm-hmm. And so even though Jansenists aren't out and about and, and printing catechisms and teaching, we still have this when people think, well, I'm not really ready to go to confession. And again, I'm not trying to be too hard on you. There right. are times where maybe sure. we should hold off to be fully disposed or fully ready. But at the end of the day, we can't live our lives waiting to get our ducks in a row before we approach God. Right. Because ultimately, God has approached us. True. True. C.S. Lewis says that man's search for God is like the, talking about the mouse's search for the cat. <laughs> God, <laughs> God is after us. Not for our woe, but for our welfare. Right. And, and the mystery of the Christian life, in contrast to any other re- religion, any other religion is about how we might approach God. Mm-hmm. The Christian religion, and Judaism by extension, of course, but it's about how God has approached us. Mm-hmm. Right. And so think about it. When, when Christ is born in Bethlehem, they don't have room in the inn for him. They're not ready for him. Mm-hmm. And that's emblematic of his whole life, right? Is right. that Christ walks among disciples who don't quite keep up with his lessons. Mm-hmm. He teaches to crowds that misunderstand him and ultimately bay for his blood after claiming him on Palm Sunday. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, he comes to his own, Christ comes to his own, and his own do not receive him. Right. Which is just as well, because it means that God is revealing to us what we couldn't have come up with on our own. And he meets us when we're not ready for him. And by extension then, makes us ready. St. Paul says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Jansenists would deny that, by the way. Christ died for the elect. Christ died for those who are in, uh, in the loop with him. He didn't die for the schlubs that don't deserve him. Mm. To which the Catholic Church says, wait, no, we're all schlubs. Maybe mm. they don't use that term. Maybe we should, because I think it conveys <laughs> it a bit better than some of the things we say. But no, Christ precisely meets us when we're not ready for him and transforms us from the inside out with his sacraments. And so St. Margaret Mary Alacook received a sense of the sacraments that meets us there, that encourages us to make reparation for our sins and the sins of others, encourages us to try to make good when we fall short, but brings us into relationship with one who meets us even as we wound him in our sins. Hmm. So, so maybe to, 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 to express it in a different way, uh, the Sacred Heart Devotion, in a way, encouraged us as the faithful, as the, the schlubs, <laughs> to approach Christ with great hope. Even though we recognize our weakness, even though we recognize our insufficiency, we approach him nevertheless with great hope because we see his love for us, we see that his grace can clothe us. I was thinking of the image of uh, the parable of the prodigal son. You know, the, the, the son, the younger son, comes home to his father expecting only to be, you know, barely 
scrape out a living as a servant in his father's household, having been, you know, being completely disowned as by his father. But the father looks upon him and sees his own image in his son. He sees the son whom he has brought into the world, who was lost and has been found, who was dead to him, has now come back to life. And he restores him. He clothes him. He puts a ring on his finger. He puts sandals on his feet. He has a great feast for him. Um, again, not because the son deserves it, but in a way it's like if we are that son, rather than approaching with, with fear and with, with doom, you know, we can approach with hope. Yeah, because ultimately we've been invited. Mm-hmm. And one part of the parable that I love that, that is there is that the son on his way back tries to think of the pitch, right? Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Let me be treated as one of your higher servants. He's trying a pitch on the way in right. to get back through the door. But what's funny about that parable and what ought to uh, both chasten and encourage us is that he comes through, he tries half his pitch, and the father doesn't even hear it. <laughs> because at the end of the day, right, we know that those words fall comparatively flat compared to what he's mm-hmm. done and where he's been and what he's hoping to be. Mm-hmm. The words fall flat. Sometimes in confession, people feel like they need to, and I, I've certainly been there. Father Stephen, if you're anything like the rest of us, I'm sure you've oh, been sure. there too. Like we all try to think of our pitch of how to, uh, to explain where we've been. And, and that's all well and good to a point. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, the most important thing about how we look at our sins and, and how we look at our relationship with God in, in relation to confession is the fact that we're there is the fact that we've showed up looking for Mm -hmm. the Lord's mercy. And so you don't need to win the priest over with some clever elevator pitch of of how you're there. Now look, uh, as you can probably tell from this program, I am not averse to pouring out a lot of words. There are times to work through this in our speech. Amen, amen. Mm -hmm. But again, we don't have to have all our ducks in a row to to, to approach his mercy. Mm -hmm. And yet in receiving his mercy, he gives us the grace to put our ducks in a row. But we don't have to have that worked out on our own. Without me, you can do nothing, he says. And he mm-hmm. says that in the love that flows from his sacred heart. Invites us in to the dynamic of his own love. Mm-hmm. Right, so, so as we approach the Lord uh, in his sacred heart, we approach with hope, we approach with love, uh, and yet we also approach with, with penitence, right? So how, do, how does that, you know, how, how can we approach him with penitence, uh, and, uh, but yet without that sense of... Uh, of despair. Sure, sure. I think that penitence has to be grounded in hope, right? Because penitence mm-hmm. means trying to make good in the face of, of what we lack. Now look, in the face of our sins, are we able to put the toothpaste back in the tube or the milk back in the bottle? Probably not. I, I probably wouldn't want to drink it out of that milk bottle. But <laughs> we can mop up, right? We can mm-hmm. play a role. And that's one of the beautiful things about our faith is that our sanctification is involved deeply with the role we play. It's not simply us sitting back and letting him sanctify us. It's that we've been invited to help clean up the messes that we've made. And by extension, the messes others have made, maybe in our lives, maybe in the lives of others. Not that we go around as busy bodies, crushing them with a sense of their inadequacy, but we engage them and we engage ourselves on a level where we say, there's more to life than what we've settled for here. Mm. And the Lord and his love has invited us to this. St. Francis, as he was dying, said, let us begin anew, because up to now, we've done nothing. Mm. And he doesn't say this with the severity of a scold. He's saying this with the, with the, the drive and, and the passion of a lover, as someone 
who realizes there's more to life. And again, if that's St. Francis talking, what hope do the rest of us have? You're someone who's <laughs> left everything behind right. and is saying he's done nothing. Well, we're invited to go and do likewise and see how much more there is to life in light of the gospel, a gospel that proclaims the love of God made incarnate in our midst. Yeah, I was thinking about in terms of uh, helping to clean up our messes and other people's messes, just the way of the cross. You know, when we, when we pray the stations of the cross, it's a very... In a way, it's very you know some of the some of the some versions of the stations of the cross, you know, it is a very um, it would be very fitting with the Sacred Heart. We think about the heart of Christ, so wounded by our passions, but our reparation is not in a sense a sense of of doom or despair or or absolute unworthiness that we have to get all our ducks in a row first. It's more, you know, uh, you know Simon of Cyrene. You know, like Simon was. You know, we we can't call. Simon, a, a, a co-redeemer by carrying the cross, but he did help carry the cross of Christ. Yeah. And in, in carrying that cross, because of Christ's great gift of his vulnerability, he was able, in a sense, to help to play a small role. Or Veronica, you know, uh, wiping Christ's, you know, bloodstained brow, yeah. brow with, with, her, with her veil. She was able, in a way, to, to participate in that, in that reparation, in a sense, repairing, restoration of the whole world. And it makes it a, a more sweeping and grand story. And, mm -hmm. and it doesn't diminish the person of Christ who is our Redeemer. Rather, right. it, it plays it out in, in full force that, that he has this generous heart that invites us to the work that he's undertaken hmm. and won for us. So, what, so just in the last couple of minutes here, what, what are some practical ways which we can express our love for Christ's sacred heart? I, I think that Frequent communion and frequent confession is at the heart of the Sacred mm -hmm. Heart devotion. Mm -hmm. Eucharistic adoration mm -hmm. and, and spending time with the Lord outside of Mass is a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Meditating on the passion of Christ and, and the redemption that he's won for us is a, a wonderful step, as is praying and, and making intercession for others who we might suspect are missing something in life. Mm -hmm. We should probably do so, though, join with the understanding that we are missing things in our life, right. too. St. Dominic, our, our founder, is famous for spending his nights up late in the chapel shouting out, what will become of sinners? It might have been difficult for the men he was living with if it woke <laughs> them up. But it's a prayer worth making, right? Charity moving him to a degree of frustration. Not a frustration that led to despair or, or to um, bitterness, but a, a frustration that flowed from love and flowed back into love. It's the frustration that a parent has with a two-year-old, right, mm -hmm. as she pulls him out of the street. It's the mm -hmm. frustration that a father might have with his son as, as he skips out on his lessons here or there. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of holy frustration we're invited to. And we're invited to express it in a way that doesn't crush the other people in our lives, but challenges them and challenges us to the bigger story we're meant to be part of. Wonderful. Thank you for joining us today for the Dominican Dimensions. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Priory in Columbus. Today I've been joined in the studio by Father Leo Camerati. Let's end with a prayer which invokes the intercession of our holy founder, St. Dominic. O light of the church, teacher, teacher of, of truth, truth rose of patience, patience ivory of chastity, freely you have poured, poured forth the waters of wisdom, preacher of grace, unite us with the blessed. Amen. Amen. Dominican Dimensions is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Dominican Dimensions and all of our locally produced programs are available at stgabrielradio.com.